Mark 14, 32 through 52. And then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The word of the Lord. I think you may have there in the last words of that reading, possibly the first historical account of a streaker (laughs) who is running not because he's trying to express himself or trying to prove anything. Uh, He's running naked because he was scared. Everybody in this account is scared. Even Jesus is scared for very different reasons, though. There's a great contrast between the disciples and Jesus at this moment in the garden called Gethsemane. It's hard for me to say it. It's a great contrast between these disciples and Jesus. And you see the contrast most in how they approach prayer. Most religions pray. Even secular people, even secular people who who cannot bring themselves to believe with any certainty that there is a God have been known to encourage prayer for its benefits. But it's hard to pray meaningfully and with consistency, isn't it? Have um, just a show of hands, how, how many of us have... When asked to pray, not known what to say. That's almost the whole room. 
How many people are petrified or, or even just nervous or anxious about having to pray in public? How many people got distracted while they were praying and started thinking about just completely unrelated things? Yeah. How many people have fallen asleep while praying? How many people have fallen asleep while someone else was praying? Yes. If you're going to get married soon, get used to that. Works both ways, at least. How many people feel or have felt discouraged because of a dry or weak prayer life? It's hard to pray with meaning and with regularity. But you know, Christianity is unique. And here, here's one of the reasons why. You are not saved. In, in Christianity, you are not saved and you are not made righteous because of your prayers. Or because of the prayers of anybody else who prays for you. The Christian message is that you are made righteous and you are saved because of the prayers of Jesus. And actually, we can find hope for our struggling, weak, pathetic prayer lives in the prayers of Jesus himself. He is a savior for those who are too weak to pray. Jesus prays for people who are too weak to pray. Now, the disciples were weak in prayer because they had claimed to be strong. It was in their perception that they were actually strong that they were too weak to pray. Now, the disciples throughout the entire, the entire gospel of Mark, you'll remember again and again, these disciples, these 12 are trying to prove themselves again and again. They've, they've had arguments with one another over who is the greatest among them. Right? They fought for position and, and tried to decide who should be at Jesus's right side and left side when he came into a position of power and authority. But at this last supper... And then following the last supper they would have with him before uh, his execution, following that last supper going into this garden uh, at the foot of the Mount of Olives called Gethsemane, which meant it meant an oil press. It's, it's where they, they took olives and made oil out of them. In this moment after the last supper in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus needs them most, the disciples prove that they are weak. Peter and James and John, the, the big three, right? Jesus' closest friends, the ones who had seen him in his glory transfigured on a mountaintop earlier, these three guys can't stay awake. Again and again and again, they fall asleep when he asks them to stay awake. One of them actually uh, takes a sword and picks a fight with one of the temple guards. We find out much later in John's gospel, it was Peter of course, again, one of them actually runs away naked. It, it kind of, it reminds me of when the cops break up a frat party. Somebody's naked, somebody's asleep, somebody picks a fight. They're a disaster. And, and can you remember in the beginning of Jesus's ministry, 40 days alone in the wilderness and Satan was there and Satan tempted him three times. You can imagine, just seeing Jesus' agony here in the garden, you can imagine what 40 days with Satan in the wilderness with no food must have been like. 
And Jesus succeeded three tests. He defeated Satan three times in the wilderness three years before. Now here, his big three fail three times to just stay awake for an hour. And so you see in this moment in Gethsemane, the complete and final failure of Jesus' closest 12 disciples. To do what they say they would do. To be strong when they had claimed that they were strong, justifying themselves. But in reality, they're weak. And this shows you, I hope you see how authentic the Bible really is. Because the leaders of the first leaders of the Christian church were just as much of a wreck as the rest of us. If you're trying to start a movement and you want to lead the movement, you don't, you don't draw attention to your, to your weaknesses. You don't draw attention to your mistakes, to the scandals you've been a part of. And yet we see the most influential three apostles who would, who would, who would change the world. Uh, we see them scandalously betray their Lord. We see them fail right here. And so we see that all have turned away, as the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. It's because claiming again and again that they were actually strong, they couldn't perceive the real danger that they were in. Because they thought that they were strong, they couldn't perceive the circumstances around them. Okay? That is why they were too weak to pray. That is why they couldn't pray. So now Jesus is left alone to be arrested by the Sanhedrin and taken away. But in his terrible anguish... Jesus uh, resists the temptation to flee. He resists the temptation to defend himself. In reality, Jesus was strong. Strong in prayer because he had become weak. So it's just the opposite. The apostles think they're strong and they're too weak to pray. Jesus weakens himself and because of that weakness is able in strength to pray. Rather than serve himself, he entrusts himself. He submits himself. One commentator says that at this moment in Gethsemane, Jesus makes a shift from a lifetime of action to to an intense moment of waiting. He's not acting anymore. He's waiting. You know how difficult it is to wait? Isn't it sometimes... More difficult to wait than to just go through it. It, Sometimes it's more difficult anticipating the pain you're about to endure than the pain itself. Sometimes it's more difficult anticipating bad news than actually hearing the bad news. Now, Jesus isn't so much in, in, he was so afraid that Luke's gospel tells us he was sweating blood. He was in such anguish. It's not that he was simply anticipating his torture and execution. Although that's no small issue to have to deal with mentally. There's something much deeper going on. Jesus is anticipating something that he never experienced in 33 years of living on this planet. And something he did not know from all eternity. Separation from eternal fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. It's something that he had never known to be separated from the Father and from the Spirit. I should have said the Spirit, the Father and the Spirit. 
isolation, divine abandonment, and receiving the punishment for the ju- and the judgment for the sins of many. And it's in this weakness that Jesus does the most important thing. He prays. And he, and he uses this word when he prays. He says, Abba. He says, Abba, Father. Abba, it was an Aramaism. It was an Aramaic word. And, and, it, and it, was a, it was a title that, that both, both showed respect and familiarity. It's a title that connoted the imminence of God, his closeness, but also his transcendence, his greatness. And he says, Abba. And there's nowhere, there are no historical evidences of anybody in ancient Palestine referring to God as Abba. Even as father. The Jews would have thought that was insulting. They would never call God their father. And here's Jesus referring to him as Abba. It's like saying Papa. You see, a child knows that he's weak, right? A child entrusts herself to a loving parent. And that's, that's what it means to be a Christian. If you've been coming here for weeks and you're trying to figure out what Christ, Christianity is, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's, it's basically to become a child and entrust yourself to your creator. A guy named Paul Miller, a few years ago, wrote a really good book on prayer. I thought we had one on the book table. I guess we don't. I have my own copy of it. I have it here on the table. If you want to come and take a look at it, you're welcome to. I'll leave it right there. Paul Miller said, you don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in spirit. What did Jesus mean when he used those words, blessed are the poor in spirit? The Sermon on the Mountainside. It means you know you're weak. What you need for a real prayer life is to know that you're weak. And so Jesus tells his disciples as he's praying in anguish in the garden, he, he tells his closest three to watch and pray. Translation, stay awake and pray. It's not that he's not encouraging the Christian to pray for self-preservation. To watch is, is not to defend yourself. It's not to look out for your best interests and make sure that everything in your life is okay. That you've got all your bases covered and all your people protected. It's remaining spiritually alert. Eyes wide open to what God is doing. To what God's saying to you. Eyes wide open to what's going on around you. Eyes wide open to what Satan and spiritual forces of darkness are doing in the world and in your life. Eyes wide open. That's a consistent prayer life. That's what Jesus is asking his his disciples to do in this dark moment. Stay awake and pray. Because the Bible tells us that the real enemies, the real dangers, are spiritual forces. They are not flesh and blood, as the Apostle Paul once wrote. So Jesus, in, his darkest, in this dark moment, shows us that a strong prayer life flows out of a childlike dependency in God. Now let me ask you a question. Why do you think it's hard to pray? From your experience. Why is it hard to pray? What do you think? 
busy trying to take control of your own life. I hear a lot of people say busyness is an issue. Somebody else? Yeah. So the pattern is to think self-sufficiently and then maybe go to God in urgency uh, when you really need him. By then, though, you're kind of out of the habit and it's awkward. Okay, over here. Yeah. Feeling the need for structured prayer. It doesn't it help to have some advice and guidance on on how to pray. Uh, I get distracted all the time. Um, And there have been a couple of times in my life where I read a book or talked to somebody who actually uh, offered some advice that provided some structure, right? But then you know what happens with rules. Then we begin to serve the rules instead of the rules serving us. So, uh, but that's a good point. And it kind of gets back to the uh, feeling busy and distracted. Somebody else? It's hard to communicate to somebody who is not communicating back. You read the Psalms again and again. The Psalms are prayers to God. And the Bible gives us 150 of them. And so many of those prayers, you hear these phrases, how long, O Lord? Where are you? How come you're silent? How come you're absent? How come I don't see what you're doing? Okay, it's hard to talk to somebody who's not talking back. Allegedly. What else? Yeah. Huge issue. If God is immutable, if God's will cannot be changed, and I hope you believe in a God uh, who, whose will can't be changed, because if, 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 if God is like us, we've got a major problem in the universe. But putting that aside, yeah, if God's will is perfect, if God is all-knowing, what's the point of praying at all? That's a good question. That's for another sermon. <laughs> sermon series. Um, but but it, it draws light on our doubts. As fallen people, we struggle knowing how and even why we should be praying. Yeah, over here. Yeah, it's not easy to daily be willing to let God change you. Hmm. You feel like your prayers aren't deep enough, like they're shallow, and you should be making them more complicated. Hmm. Okay, I appreciate that. These are honest answers. I really like them. We sometimes think the more lengthy our prayers, the more sophisticated our prayers, the more holy-sounding our prayers, the better our prayers. Jesus had something to say about that. He said it's baloney. <laughs> that was a marginal reading. Good, good thoughts. One more. Yeah. We use our personal experience from the past um, uh, where we've discouraged because of prayers God didn't answer or, or didn't answer the way we wanted. And now that's, it makes it hard for us to pray now. Yeah. I saw one, one more. I'll let you have it. Uh, 
It's hard to pray because we don't realize that we're desperate all the time. Yeah. Really honest answers, and, and I appreciate that so much. I think we're weak in prayer because we think like orphans. James, James the Apostle, decades later, would write a very short but powerful letter to the churches. And James said in James chapter 4, hey, you know why you're not getting the things you're asking God for? Two reasons. You, you either are not asking him for anything, or you're asking wrongly. You're asking for the wrong reasons. And once again, Paul Miller's book on prayer, Paul Miller describes that there are two cliffs that we can fall off of in our attempts to pray and in our prayer habits as human beings. The first cliff is non-existent, a non-existent prayer life. We don't ask God for anything because we have separated ourselves from him. And so our prayer life it doesn't exist. Uh, this is the secular mindset. Well, I'm, uh, humanity is the man is the measure of all things. Man does not need God. Man does not need a creator. We can manage things ourselves. And if that is true, well, why pray? And so we don't pray at all. I don't even know if there is a God or deistic mindset. There is a God, but he's really far away and he doesn't give a rip about humanity. He's not really involved in the affairs of the, in the affairs of the world. Uh, so why pray to a God that is unknowable and unreachable uninvolved, and apathetic. But then there's functional atheism, where you believe that there is a God, maybe you're even a Christian, but you don't live as though there is a God. You don't think as though God cares very much about the life that you live and about the world in which we live. So maybe there is a God, but uh, you don't seek him. Or you, you say you believe in him, but you don't functionally speak and live and pray as though he exists. So that's one cliff. We don't ask God for anything because we separate ourselves or fear, feel far from him. The other cliff Paul Miller describes is manipulative prayer. Where we do pray and we do ask God for things, but we ask selfishly. We become demanding of God. We think that God owes us something. We think that we've earned the right to ask God for things that he should give us. This is, in general, the religious mindset. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. I say my prayers. I memorize my Ten Commandments. In general, I don't commit any huge sins that would send me to prison or make people think I'm weird. Uh, and, and so I've lived a good life. And when I ask God for something, he should give it to me. That is a moralistic way of thinking. It's a legalistic way of thinking. I live by the law, and, and if I can keep as many laws as I possibly can in good conscience, then God owes me something. And when he doesn't give me what I want, well, forget him. So these two cliffs we can fall off of in our prayer lives. We don't ask God for anything because we separate ourselves from him, or we don't feel like he's near us, and we ask selfishly, manipulatively, demanding from him. Now, I hope you can see that, that our pathetic prayer lives, either way you look at it, okay, our pathetic prayer lives are the result of the fact that we live and think like orphans. The, 
whether, whether you refuse to ask God for anything or you're scared to ask God for anything or whether you are trying to manipulate God, it's all out of a desire to be autonomous. It's all out of a desire to live our own way, to be strong in ourselves and to not trust him and to not entrust ourselves to him. The most skeptical atheist and the most, the best commandment keeping Bible memory verse abiding churchgoer all act like orphans. Rather than pray with hearts that are filled with God's spirit, rather than pray from a heart that is filled with his spirit, we pray with a heart that's divided. A heart that's divided between what God wants and what you want. Whether you just want to go to sleep for an hour. Whether you want um, a comfortable life as an American. Whether you want the status quo and you don't want any adversity or difficulty or reaching out to God and trusting him to, to break the stat, to interrupt the status quo of your life. Whether you want to live by revenge and just refuse to offer mercy and grace and forgiveness to people who have hurt you. Or whether you want to live a life of success and entitlement. Whatever it is, we, we, we often approach prayer with divided hearts. And we don't want what God wants. We want what we want. And so we are weak to pray. Now, here's the thing. The prayers of Jesus is a whole different ballgame. The prayers of Jesus make weak people into children of God. Jesus' prayers make weak people sons and daughters. The prayers of Jesus Christ actually worked to save you. If you're a Christian. In the upper room. During, during that moment where, where Jesus and the disciples took Passover together. That last supper we talked about last week. And then following that last supper into the night. Going into the garden of Gethsemane. Across the, across the Kidron Valley from where they had eaten dinner. In these moments. Jesus perfectly uh, exemplifies what it looks like. To pray as a child. To entrust yourself to your creator. What Jesus does, instead of not asking, Jesus asks boldly. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Now, he had known why he had come. To seek and save the lost. To give his life as a ransom for many. You've heard this again and again throughout Mark's story. And yet here he asks his father. If it's possible. Take this cup from me. He boldly asks. But he doesn't just ask. Because that's not a balanced prayer life. What if you're asking boldly for something. That is completely impractical. Or wrong. What if you're deluded. Jesus not only asked boldly, but he surrendered completely. He said, yet not what I will, but what you will. Two other gospels record two other things that Jesus did on this night. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus was actually praying not only for himself, but for his disciples. 
He actually, you know, Peter didn't think he would ever betray Jesus, said, Lord, I'll die for you. Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When Simon Peter was asleep, paying no attention to what was going on, Jesus was praying for him. John's gospel, John 17, says that this is profound. Jesus was not only praying for the 11, Jesus was praying for us. If you're a Christian here today, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, on that night, was praying for you. He said in John chapter 17, he's he's praying for for the 11, he's praying for his disciples. But then he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The prayers of Jesus Christ actually have brought salvation to you. And the prayers of Jesus Christ not only work to save you, the prayers of Jesus work to change you. Jesus' prayers work still today to transform you. Let me show you what I mean by that. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4 said, Look, if you're a Christian, God's spirit is in you, and now you become a child of God. You're not his enemy anymore. You're not under his wrath. You're now a a child. He has adopted you as his own heir. He said, because you are sons, and by the way, I have to say this. In ancient Greek, this is important. If you're a woman and you're like, am I left out of the package? No. Because in the ancient world, only males could inherit. And so when the Bible says you're a son, what the Bible means is male or female, you're an heir. You inherit. Okay? Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul is saying that the spirit of God indwells you and literally prays for you. When you don't know how the heck... To pray for yourself. Paul put it in a different way in Romans. He said the spirit prays for us and groans that that we can't even comprehend. When we're too weak to pray, the spirit in us prays for us. So, So quite literally, the prayers of Jesus save you and sanctify you. The prayers of Jesus are an essential part of your, your justification. God declaring you righteous. And the prayers of Jesus are essential in your sanctification. God making you righteous. So now pray like someone who knows you're a child of God. Pray like a son. Pray like a daughter. Pray like someone who knows that Jesus is still praying for you. Jesus as a child entrusted himself to his heavenly father and through that prayer gave himself up for you so that you can be a child. Now you think like a child and live like a child and entrust yourself to your heavenly father. And that, that is where prayer begins. It can't begin anywhere else. Prayer is bogus unless you approach it as a child. And that's how it starts. And so the author of Hebrews could then say, let us then with confidence, 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need and if you're not a child of god according to what jesus says a child of god is if you're not a child of god maybe it's time to become one entrust yourself friend to jesus let him speak for you let him pray to the father for you in ways that you cannot pray for yourself, for needs that you don't even know you have. Let him verbalize requests to your creator that you can't verbalize, that you can't express. When you don't see God, when you don't hear God in your life, let the spirit of Jesus pray for you exactly what you need. And trust yourself to him because he's a savior who prays for those who are too weak to pray. So, so let's allow our pathetic prayer lives to throw us at the feet of Jesus. Let's admit that it's not our prayers that convince or manipulate God to help us. It's the prayers of Jesus. And he will never stop pleading for you before the throne of God. He'll never stop pleading your case. And he knows exactly what you need. So entrust yourself to him. And let that encourage you to pray. Let the fact that Jesus has has completely opened the way to God for you to encourage you to pray. Let Jesus' death and resurrection, which makes you no longer an alien and an orphan, but a child of God, give you what you need to pray. Let's try it right now. Join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive, those, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father, because of your Son and by your Spirit, teach us how to pray. And before we even open our mouths, Father, do the real work. Do the work that we can't do ourselves. Convince us that we can be a part of your household, that we can be a part of your family. Father, if my friends here are children of the living God, and convince them of it now. If they are not, help them to see that they are cosmic orphans without hope, but that you are willing to love them and bring them into your house, and you will never cast them out again. Teach us to think that way and to live that way. And we praise the Lord Jesus Christ, who prayed for us in his name. Amen.